This morning we have our brother Donnie Bates who is uh, going to speak to us. Um, Donnie, if you are not familiar with his extensive background in ministry, is one that has a wide range of experiences uh, from being a missionary. Uh, they went to South America and uh, served the people there for a couple of years. Uh, he's a graduate of Bear Valley and graduated in is it 83? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, has preached in uh, Colorado and Missouri and had a almost a 10 year, nine and a half year uh, uh, tenure in Hugo, Hugo, Oklahoma, where um, uh, Donnie just did uh, excellent, excellent work there. The brethren there still speak very highly of his enormous time there. Um, meanwhile, while he was in Hugo, he worked with us in our international program, and the opportunity came where uh, Donnie and I had a conversation about uh, his coming on board, uh, moving to Denver and working full time, and fortunately uh, they were agreeable to that and uh, has been here ever since and uh, has served as our academic dean, done a terrific job at that, serves as one of the Bear Valley elders along with Dave Chamberlain and two others, and um, so we appreciate Donnie, we love him for his heart for God and for his word, and um, it's a blessing to have him as uh, one of your teachers and a fellow worker in the Bible Institute. So, Donnie, come preach the word. You know, I always enjoy this um, this series every uh, August. Uh, this and every couple of years, it, it rolls around to where we're talking about these pieces of advice and and uh, the advice that you've been given already this week. Uh, I was telling somebody. Uh, maybe a couple of people that uh, every lesson that I've heard this week, I've, I've wanted to add my two cents because I, I could think of, uh, of examples of every illustration that's been given. It's been very good advice and so true, the things that are said. But I couldn't do that, couldn't give my two cents. So you're going to get 10 cents worth today, <laughs> uh, whether you like it or not. Um, we were asked to give three pieces of advice or uh, talk about three passages of Scripture that have meant a lot to our ministry. And so I chose three passages of Scripture that give us great advice. Um, and uh, I really think that when you, when you look at these passages carefully and listen to the advice that God Himself is giving us, what you glean from that, the one point, homiletics guys and English comp guys, the one thing this lesson is about, no matter what, Put your trust in God and keep it there. Keep it there. I want to start out in Jonah. Jonah chapter 2. Now you are familiar with the story of Jonah. Um, how God wanted him to go and preach his word to uh, Nineveh, uh, the capital city of Assyria. Jonah didn't want to do that. And so he fled, went in the opposite direction, gets on board a ship. And God causes a great storm on the sea uh, where that ship is, and it's over for everybody on board. Jonah, though, knows the, the, the truth. He's the cause of all of this. And he tells his shipmates, the only way you're getting out of this is to throw me overboard. And to their credit, they didn't really want to do that. 
That was uh, probably an easy answer, an easy solution, but they, these seem to be decent men. But in the end, there's not any other way to get around it. And so they do throw him overboard. And then in chapter 2, the whole chapter, chap or verse 1 of that chapter says that Jonah offered a prayer. And he offered a prayer of thanksgiving. And again, you know the story and, and how all of that turned out. But what we might miss in the story is the fact that Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving he prayed from the belly of the fish. Now, the fact that Jonah was praying in the belly of the fish should not surprise anybody. If you were swallowed by a fish in, in similar circumstances and had consciousness, you would be praying too. But he prayed a prayer of thanksgiving. And that, that's always struck me as impactful. A prayer of thanksgiving... Here's a bit of advice number one. You see, the fish was not Jonah's punishment. The fish was Jonah's salvation. So the advice from that is, understand that God's deliverance of you, God's salvation may not come from the direction you were expecting. Nobody who gives this, uh, this incident, I hesitate to call it a story because that might lead some people to think that it didn't happen. Anybody who considers this incident <clears throat> carefully would agree that it's highly unlikely as Jonah is sinking, and he describes it, he was, he was sinking to the bottom. Uh, the, the seaweed was wrapping around his head and, and uh, he was done. That when he saw that fish, if he saw that fish, he thought, oh good, here comes my ride. No. <laughs> That's going to appear to anybody who reasonably considers this as a punishment. That's part of the whole deal. But it was his salvation. And he got that. He understood that and he thanked God for it. And he thanked God for it. So, so understand, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that in a moment. God's deliverance may not come from the direction that you were expecting. A point that I've made a lot over the years, as I, as I began to wrap my head around that, we need to understand that God's deliverance in this life may be deliverance from this life. Did God the Father deliver God the Son from His suffering on the cross? Now, a lot of people are going to be tempted to say no, and He died. I would argue yes, because He died. When Jesus uttered those words, it is finished. There were several other things that He said, on the cross. But when he uttered those words, it is finished, and gave up the spirit, he was delivered from his suffering. He didn't suffer anymore after that. Not even after coming back to life. His suffering was over. And it may be that as you and I pray for God's deliverance of a particular thing, 
the deliverance will come. But it may not come in life. It may come from life. And we need to be okay with that. Because that's the greatest deliverance of all anyway. The other two bits of advice come from one of my favorites of the prophets, another one of the minor prophets, Habakkuk. I know that a lot of people around here think this is my favorite book in the, in the whole wide Bible. It's not, but it's up there. It's up there. I really love Habakkuk. Habakkuk is someone who reminds me a lot of, of uh, the Apostle Peter, someone that we can really relate to. He's emotional, and his emotion is evident all through this book. Just a little bit of a background, the, the bit of advice is going to come from chapter 2 and verse 2, but a little bit of background first. Uh, Habakkuk begins his oracle, his prophecy, his book, frustrated that God is not answering his prayers with respect to the terrible, the horrible situation of his country, his nation, Judah. Things are bad in Judah. Now, Habakkuk was a contemporary of people like Jeremiah who are prophesying near the end of the history of Judah before Babylonian captivity. And things are not good. And he, like a faithful child of God, is praying about it, has prayed about it a lot. And God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. And so he begins his oracle by complaining to God, almost as if he were saying, I don't know why I keep praying, because you don't listen to me. You're not doing anything. Verses 1 through 4. And then, beginning in verse 5, God answers him. Answers him directly. And he says, look, I am doing something. I've got this. I've got control of this situation. In fact, I have a plan that is so incredible, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. And then he told Habakkuk his plan, and Habakkuk replies, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 1, I can't believe it. <laughs> I cannot believe that you would devise a plan like that. You, the good God, you are too good, you are too pure to devise a plan that is so evil that you would bring an evil group of people, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, in to judge your people. They're worse than we are. Now, historically, when those Chaldeans came into Jerusalem, they were led by a man who was not anything like Habakkuk was afraid. They were led by a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, <coughs> who after spending years in the company of four young men, Daniel, and then by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had changed that pagan king to someone who, when he exits Bible history at the end of, I believe it's chapter 4 in Daniel, he exits praising Jehovah God. I expect to see him in heaven. He knew by the time he leaves Scripture, he knew his place in God's plan. And when he goes in and takes Jerusalem, he understands what, what uh, he's supposed to be doing there. And he sends people in to find Jeremiah and take care of him and protect him 
because he's a man of God. So it didn't, in the end, work out like Habakkuk was afraid it was going to work out. But that's the background of this. And, and starting in verse 12 of chapter 1, uh, Habakkuk gives that response to God's plan. And he concludes it in chapter 2 and verse 1. And um, I'll just tell you, I don't like that chapter break. That's something that you freshmen are going to learn. You're going to hear that a lot while you were here. I really think we ought to change the tagline. Bear Valley, we train preachers and we don't like chapter breaks. Um, that's a terrible chapter break because that's the end of what Habakkuk had to say. But he says there in, uh, in uh, verse 1, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the ramparts to see how I will respond how he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. You get the idea that Habakkuk has gotten the idea, I might have chastised the Lord just a little bit too harshly. And so, all right, Lord, let me have it. Well, God's response goes from chapter, uh, verse 2 all the way through the end of the chapter. But I just want to focus on chapter, <laughs> verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. There he tells him, and if I can mix some versions of this, because I like some of the older versions and, and the ESV, write the vision and make it plain. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. Did you notice God's response to Habakkuk, who was expecting to be uh, rebuked, was not a rebuke. It wasn't a rebuke at all. That's one of the reasons that I like Habakkuk. He had a relationship with his heavenly father where they could interact that way. We need to develop a relationship with our heavenly father where we can take concerns to Him. Scripture tells us to do that. That doesn't mean in some cold, emotionless way. We need to be able to cry out to God. We need to feel comfortable sometimes asking the question, why? At the same time realizing we may not get the answer. We don't find the answer in Scripture. Job wondered why he didn't get an answer to that question. And Habakkuk's not going to get an answer to the question either. His advice, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Advice bit number two. You have a job to do. You let, or you do your job, you let God do his job. Habakkuk, your job is not to, certainly not to criticize God's plan, but it's not even really to understand God's plan. That's not your job. God doesn't give us scripture for us to pour over and figure out if we agree with it or not. And if we, if we do, then we preach it. We leave out those things, we don't touch on those things we don't agree with. No, we have a job to do. 
And I would argue that the job you have and the job that I have is exactly the same job that Habakkuk had. Judgment was coming. Now in Habakkuk's case, judgment was coming on Jerusalem. Severe judgment. In our case, judgment is coming on this whole world. And there are parts of God's Word, parts of God's charge to us, that I don't understand. But it's not my job to fully understand it. I have a job to do, and that's to warn people of judgment. I've, now, we don't, we don't get uh, inspired messages from God to write down on tablets and make that plain. But, folks, we've been given the inspired message of God, and our job is to make that plain so that the one who hears it may... Now, in Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's case, it was so he may run, get out of the way of the coming judgment. But our message is so that the one who hears it can prepare for the coming judgment. Nobody's going to run away from this one. That's our job. You may not be able to fully understand and, and even explain how it can be that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Three distinct personalities, and yet, as Scripture says, there's just one God. I don't fully know how to explain that to everybody's satisfaction. But that's the truth of Scripture. That's what's taught in Scripture. That's my job. You may have things happen in your ministry that you can't explain, you don't know how to handle. I won't go into to detail about this today, maybe in another lesson. But you may have a nine-year-old little girl come up to you in the congregation and, and tell you that... that um, all the kids, since all of the kids in her school are telling her that since her daddy committed suicide, he's in hell, she now wants to go to hell so she can be with her daddy. I'm really glad that John teaches counseling now because now he can cover how to handle all of those things. Nobody explained to me how to handle those things. Uh, you, may not, you may not know how to do those things, but you know what God tells you. You know how to teach the truth. You may not be able to explain all the evil in the world and why God doesn't seem to be doing anything. But you can preach His truth and you can offer freedom to the captives of this world, the captives of our real enemy. And that brings us to the third bit of advice that I want to get to in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is Habakkuk's response to God's response. And it's a powerful, powerful chapter. It, it, and, and the very first verse of that chapter gives us a clue about its power. There's a word that's used there. Habakkuk gave his response in a form called, and this is one of those extremely rare times when I think, anyway, the Hebrew word is easier to pronounce than the English word in the Bible there. The Hebrew word is shigayon. And I don't know how to say that English word that's in my Bible. I've never come up with a good way to pronounce it. But, but the best definition for that word that I've been able to come across is just from the footnote of my Bible that it says a highly poetic form. I mean a highly emotional poetic form. It's dripping with emotion. We come all the way down through that chapter to chapter, I mean to uh, verse 16 to uh, see his conclusion of the whole thing. 
Verse 16 tells Habakkuk's fear of what's about to happen. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait patiently, quietly for the day of distress for the people who will invade us. Do you get the idea that Habakkuk, after, after hearing everything God had to say in, in the rest of chapter 2, said, boy, I thought it was going to be bad, but now everything's going to be fine. Not at all. Not at all. The prospect, even though this is a plan from God, the prospect of what was going to happen terrifies Habakkuk. Another reason I love him so much. It's real. It's real. But I want you to listen, starting in verse 17. This is his conclusion. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation." The Lord God is my strength. He makes my feet like hinds. And He makes me walk on my high places. The future that admittedly I don't understand terrifies me. Bit of advice number three. Never forget that no matter how bad things get, God is still God. No matter how bad things get, God is still God. In verse 17, all of that about fig trees not blossoming and, and there's no fruit on the vines, the cattle, the sheep, everything is cut off. He's describing the, the total collapse of their economy. The total collapse of their economy. What about us? You know, in the news the last few months, uh, there's been a lot about how high inflation is, the highest it's been in decades. 8.5 was the last, 8.5% was the last uh, figure that was given. Well, let me, let me just massage this verse a little bit. If inflation hits 10% and all our supporters have to stop sending us support, if the war in Ukraine escalates and spreads all around the world. I hope, if that happens, by the way, I hope the first nuclear missile hits my house. <laughs> Sorry, Tyler, Wayne, Denny. <laughs> if it hits my house, you're toast too. And the rest of you are probably going to die from a long, lingering radiation poisoning or something. But, but if that were to happen. If armed men burst into our worship service and take over the facility, we can talk about that at a later time. That happened in 2014 in Ukraine to our facility. If the government decides that for the safety of the masses, churches need to close. Does that sound familiar? That was just a quick list that I came up with. You could make your own list. And try, if you do that, if you make a list, think of the worst things that could happen. 
the absolute worst things that could happen. And then remind yourself that your Habakkuk 3.17 must be followed by Habakkuk 3.18 and 19. The Lord God is my strength, he said. Yet will I exult in the Lord. I don't care how bad it gets because God is still God. Yahweh Adonai is my strength. It doesn't matter what happens. Leonard Gray used to close. He was the director when I was a student here. And he used to close every chapel with men. It's real out there. He was right, I have found. It is real out there. And you're going to encounter things that will make your head spin. Now, I wanted to be very careful when I said this and not to make it sound like all the bad things. We, we could have taken each one of these speakers. In fact, just one of the speakers could probably have filled up this entire month with stories and many of them would be horror stories of ministry. But I got to tell you, the happy stories of ministry so far outweigh the horror stories of ministry that doesn't even compare. Does not even compare. As real as the evil in this world is, as real as the problems in the church are that you may have to face, none of those things is any more real than God our Father. So put your hand in His hand. Put your trust in Him. Understand that He has a plan, whether that plan makes any sense to you or not. His deliverance may very well come from a completely unexpected direction and may only come after this life is over. Do your job. Get out of His way and let Him do His job. And don't ever forget that no matter what happens, God is still God. May God bless each one of you and each one of us as we remember these things. Thank you.